Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. I introduce and welcome back to this world-changing pulpit, Pastor David Freck and his wife, Tracy. You uh, introduce your friends, Armin and Cindy. Pastor Freck, it's all yours. There's water here. Let's give them a South Florida welcome. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, God. Bless you, man. Praise God. Come on, give Jesus praise in the house. Hallelujah. Wow, what an amazing... What an amazing church, Spring of Life. Uh, you know, we were here, I, we were trying to think about the last time we were here. I think it was uh, maybe seven or so years ago. And uh, just love your pastors. Uh, love Bishop Joaquin and Yvette. And what a great grace is on them uh, to touch the world, to change the world. And I, I, I love the way he greets me. He, he, he's better at calling than I am. And He'll call me and first words out of his mouth is hallelujah. hallelujah. And I know, I know it's my brother from Miami, Florida. It's 18 degrees in Kansas City right now. Favor ain't fair. And here I am soaking up the sun in the house of the Lord. Eating this amazing food. It isn't fair that one city in the world has all of the best food. We've got barbecue. That's it. And uh, here we are, and we've got all the most amazing food here, and your pastors have lavished us and, and uh, just been... I'm sorry? You've offended us many, many times. He's offended me right out of my clothes I've just grown right out of them, and, uh, but what a, what a joy and what a rejoicing it's been uh, to be here with your pastors, to be here with you. I, I, I'm bearing a word from the Lord. I'm bearing a word from the Lord. I, I, it's interesting because uh, we started our church 25 years ago. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year as well. You're about six months older than we are. Uh, now, this church, the uh, Church of the Harvest in Kansas City, uh, we started 25 years ago. This was my wife and I's fifth church plant. So we planted five churches. This is our fifth church plant. And, uh, and, but God's let us uh, enjoy the harvest there. And, uh, and so we're celebrating along with you. We rejoice with you. We know what it takes uh, to bear down and prevail for 25 years. I've been in full-time ministry. Last year, we celebrated 40 years of full-time uh, service in the ministry. And my wife celebrates um, a lot more, over 50 years in full-time ministry. She started when she was 12, traveling with her family. And we believe, and I know you do, that ministry is a family call. It's a family grace. It's a family anointing. And uh, not that they all express it in the same ex way, but it's all revealed for the glory of God, whether it's in the marketplace or whether it's in the house of the Lord or where, no matter where it's at, and that they carry the mantle of the house. And so we're so honored to be here and, and we're so thankful 
to just share some time with you. I, I, I it would be remiss for me not to mention that we're so honored that we have uh, a couple of our elders that have come from Kansas City to be with us, Armand and Cindy Burchard, and we're just so thankful for them to be here. So we got to watch our Kansas Jayhawks lose uh, last night in the NCAA tournament. Grief and sorrow and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth was happening at our uh, Airbnb last night, but uh, we, 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 we've awakened in the joy of the Lord. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy shows up in the morning, amen? And so we're, <laughs> we're, excited. we're excited to be here. I, I want to ask my wife, Pastor Tracy, to come and just greet you, and, and if somebody could get her a little microphone, I think we're going to have her sing. Do you mind? Uh, my, my, this, is, this is my bride of over 40 years. Uh, Tracy and she's she's the best of us and whenever she stands near me I look better and I smell better and I am better amen and so I'm so grateful for her we are just so thankful to be here and I tell you what your hospitality the way you've welcomed us has just been amazing Mm -hmm. I as your pastor said they were fasting the last time they came to visit us and they have really offended us this week since we've been here by all the food and all the hospitality and the graciousness so we can't wait till they come back not on a fast so we can reciprocate. We did feed them food, bread, and water. Though. No, <laughs> water. We gave them water. But we, we, we the love them. The finest filtered water that <laughs> Kansas City could provide. So I think there's something about the name Spring yeah. of Life. I, yeah. I think there may be an actual spring or a fountain of youth. Because every time I see your pastora, she looks just as young as the first day I met her. <laughs> Like some young teenage girl. I want, I want some of this spring, Pastor Joaquin. <laughs> but you know what? The, 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 where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. And I tell you what, I felt such freedom to worship yeah, this morning because there was such spirit of the Lord here. You are so blessed. Yeah. And I know that it's because you have welcomed in his presence. Yeah. You have welcomed it. It is not foreign to you. And so we just bless you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. I'm getting ready. I'm going to sing a a song for you, just a worship song that I wrote years ago. God has blessed me to write several, but this one I thought was kind of fitting for your anniversary year. So it's just a little worship song that I'm in, and I hope it it blesses you this morning. Amen. It'll be a blessing. I uh, I was so honored to meet uh, Pastor Richie this morning and yes. and uh, the, the the king of salsa and and I always thought salsa was something that went on a chip and I found out it's a musical style and it's amazing and it's upbeat and it's incredible and and uh, and I I love musicality my my daughter is remarkable she's a remarkably gifted singer songwriter my wife uh, is the same she uh, Lord gave her the gift of playing the piano. The Lord actually taught her to play the piano in dreams at night when she was a child. And she just got up and one morning and started playing like this at 10 years old. And her parents come running in. They, they, they wondered who was visiting their home. And they found their daughter playing. And they said, you can play the piano. She goes, I know, isn't this great? And 
she's prayed for presidents and, and I know uh, Pastor Richie has as well so uh, honey just bless them would you we have come into this place to worship you and we lift our hands in praise and gratitude as we think of where we've been and how we've come this far and we know it's all because of who you are and you are mighty you're victorious winning every battle for us signs and wonders reaching near and far Hey! 
you out of but I know what he took me out of and when I look back when you look back 25 years ago and you're in a, a room or you're in a house or you're in a little place and you've got 20 people or 15 people and you're preaching and you're praying and you're trusting and you're believing and, and now you wake up 25 years later and, and you're changing the world and you sent people around the world and you're affecting men and you're affecting women and you're affecting nations by the power of come on say hallelujah. Amen. No wonder we say hallelujah. Yes. Praise God. High five somebody. Say get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Amen. Thank you, honey. Praise God. Awesome. Well, I, 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 now I don't, I know Pastor Joaquin, he's bold. He's direct. He's uncompromising. He's a pulpit bully. <laughs> I can say that because I've sat in lots of meetings with him and, and I've always been stirred. I, I just have loved how he challenges the hearts of people. I love it. Uh, he, he is uh, so full of the word, so full of the spirit, so full of the conviction of his calling and uh, it's carried forth into this house and it's an honor to be here and I was... I want to honor them, celebrate them, thank God for 25 years. Um, you just know this isn't a flash in the pan. Amen. You just know that this is going to go on. The impact of this place, of this house, of this ministry will transcend for generations. Amen. And uh, I love it because one of the things that God built our church to be, and he spoke it early on, I remember driving in to our church service and God gave me a word. And we were three months old. I had 30 white people. Is it okay if I just, I'm honest, that's what it was. Our, our community, Olathe, Kansas, our community is nine, at the time was 97% Caucasian. 97%. So there's not a whole lot of hope of being anything other than just a bunch of, of white Midwestern people. It's just what it's going to be. And the Lord speaks to me as I'm driving in and he says to me, your church is going to look just like heaven. Every race, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Yes. And I, I, I told my wife, and she, we rejoiced, and I went to church that morning, and I stood up in front of everybody. I said, God spoke to me. He said, our church is going to look just like heaven. I got 30 people in a little room. I said, God spoke to me and said, there's going to be, our church is going to look just like heaven. Every race, kindred, tribe, and tongue. And I got the golf clap. 
How many know what the golf clap is? It's like, uh, it's a courtesy clap. Well, that was nice, Pastor. Thank you. And, and so I get, I, I get done, and, and after the service, somebody comes up to me, two families that had just connected to the church, and they said, uh, we're interested in your statement about us, you know, looking just like heaven, every race, kindred, type, and so Do you mean that we're going to have different races, different colors, different nationalities uh, coming to this church? I said, absolutely. That's exactly what God said. They said, well, we're not sure we're comfortable with that. And I said, then we're not your church. We're not your church. That was the last time I saw them. They didn't come back. The very next Sunday, our first family of color, a black family, walked into our church, became deeply connected to our house. Our house today is half African-American, about half white, and then we have 47 nations represented in our church. Our church, our church does not represent our community. Our church doesn't look like Olathe, Kansas. We've got, we're not just multiracial, we're multicultural because of all the nationalities that are represented. We're not just multiracial and multicultural, but we are multigenerational. When you look at our church, you're going to see gray hairs. Come on, you're going to see young people, you're going to see middle-aged people, you're going to see children. There's the spanning of generations because our church is going to look just like heaven. Every race, every kindred, every, every kindred, every generation, every tribe, every tongue is represented. Now, I believe that I've seen God doing something of a similar. This is a multi-generational church. And I, I'm convinced that it's not church until it becomes multi-generational. It's not the house of the Lord until generations are corrected and affected. It's, it's just not even church. It's a, it's a societal gathering. It's a community club. It is not a compact connection to the purposes of God unless it is multi-generational and multicultural. There's this context that I'm reaching beyond who I am and what I am, but I'm reaching out from who I am and from what I am at a familial level. Everybody tracking with me? So I want to talk to you. I believe I'm carrying the, I don't know how much time I have, Pastor. So you just frame me. You tell me how much time, because I'll take every second of it. I have an hour. Oh. Oh, you're in trouble. <laughs> Hallelujah. The word of the Lord endures forever, and you're going to find that out here in just a minute. So I want to talk about, and this is the word that I believe God's put on my heart, and it's interesting because the Lord started changing. I came with something, and about, uh, about halfway through the day yesterday, the Lord kind of, uh, I, I just couldn't find the rhythm of it. I just couldn't find the release of it. And then last night, I woke up about 3 o'clock, or in the, this morning, I guess, I woke up at about 3 o'clock, and the Lord just kind of rearranged everything and recrafted everything. And I want to talk about the, the house that God has built. I want to celebrate 25 years of spring of life. It started with a dream, right? It started with a word from the Lord to the man of God. And the word of the Lord was, spring of life is going to be a church that changes the world. Not just that changes the world, but is going to do that by creating world changers. Yes! Yes! 
Now, that, that's a great statement. It has, it has umpa, it has taste, it has vibe and zest. It is, it is big, it is colossal, it is dynamic, it is as, uh, as inspirational, and it's also not practical. World changers out of this, this, this simple church in this simple place in Miami. How many people have come up and said, we're going to change the world, we're going to change the world, we're going to change the world. And, and it's a nice theme and it, it peters out after a week or after a month or after the sermon series is over or after new leadership comes in or a new trend or new fad swings across the spectrum of the Christian world. But it's never changed here. And it's not only never changed, it's being realized. And it's being realized because it's a God dream. It's authored by God. It's inspired by God. Do you remember Abraham coming out of the Ur of the Chaldees and going through his journey? And when he, he, he gets this word, go and I'll show you. And then he lands there eventually. And then God says in Genesis 13, I want you to look around. I want you to count the stars, Abraham, if you can count them. I want you to count the grains of sand on the ground, if you can count them. And I want you to realize that that's what your family's going to be. That through you, the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And I want you to see the land that I'm giving you. And I want you to walk against, I want you to walk its length and its breadth and its width. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to find out the spectrum of what I'm giving to you. Because in this little parcel of land that means nothing in the grand scheme of global, uh, of, of global uh, dimension. It means little bit of nothing. I'm going to create a nationality. I'm going to create a family that is going to change change the world and it's going to start with you well if you will I want you to go to Zechariah Zechariah if you would please Zechariah chapter 4 and I want to share with you about this house that God is building he said to me Spirit of the Lord speaking to the prophet Zechariah this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You have become a plain, and he shall bring forth the top stone or the capstone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whatever, whoever has despised the day of small beginnings shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Shall see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. The very first thing that you need to know about the prophecy that Zechariah shares to Zerubbabel is that it is born out of the birthing or the rebuilding of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. They had started sometime before 
and they couldn't get anywhere. They couldn't get any traction. And so God raises up Haggai and Zechariah to encourage the leadership to bring forth this vision. And so Haggai prophesies four sermons in four months and he disappears. That's the end of him. We don't know anything more about what he did or what his impact is. That's just what happens. But Zechariah picks up the mantle of this prophetic word and then brings it accuracy to the hearts of specific individuals who are going to become the impetus by which this happens. He starts with Joshua, the high priest, and then he goes to, Zeru- uh, goes to uh, Zerubbabel, who's the governor or the uh, administrator of this large dynamic uh, program that they don't have any natural capacity to fully fulfill. It's going to take something more than their might. It's going to take something more than their power. It's going to take something more than their economy. It's going to take something more than their understanding and their education and their intellect and their creativity. It's going to take something beyond them. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that in 25 years, what you've discovered is why you have capable, gifted, anointed, world-changing individuals with capacity and creativity and innovative nature and, and, and intellect and, and, and all the elements that natural power can bring, it's still not enough because what God builds requires the Holy Spirit's power. Yes! Yeah. It requires it. And that's why he announces to Zerubbabel, you're gonna, you want to try and trust your strength? You want to try and trust your military might? You want to try and trust your intellect? It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, yes. says the Lord of hosts. And there's the one thing that I've discovered in 40 years of ministry that as good as I can do, it can't change the hearts of men. It can't transform a marriage that's broken. It can't deliver a drug addict that's strung out. It cannot set free a family that is fractured. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit to get it done. And I'm here to tell you, you're world changers, not because you have intellect and education, not because you've got well-positioned individuals. You are world changers because it's by the Holy Spirit. You are trusted him. Your leadership has trusted him. The men and women of God in this house have trusted him. And it's not just in a church service. It's happened in homes. It's happened in families. It's happened in businesses. It's happened where they've got into environments, business environments, educational environments, and creativity environments. And they have demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what brings world-changing effect to the earth. Oh, I'm sorry. I, am I yelling too much? Yeah. Pastor Nick, last week just killed it. I listened to it. Proud Papa sent me the video. He said, you're going to have to live up to this. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, I'm not quiet. I'm sorry. I get excited. Yeah. I scream and yell. I need the cardio, actually. It's not just that. It's not by, just by might or by power, but it's by... The, and then look at the very next verse. The very next verse, verse 7. It says, Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Who are you, O great mountain? I love that the mountain has a personage. It's, it's profiled as something more than an inanimate object. Who are you, O great mountain? And it's, it's telling you that over 25 years, if you're going to build the house of the Lord and the house that has been built, it's going to come through a journey that has dynamic obstacles, 
and dynamic problems. The journey is filled with obstacles that are great. Great mountain. You want to do something for God? Don't expect a smooth path. You want to do something for God? Don't expect that it's the path of least resistance. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that your adversity is a sign of God's calling. I'm going to suggest that the struggle and the thing that he's asking you to climb is the element that communicates to you how significant it is what God is trying to do. The journey and its obstacles are going to be great. See, here's here's what Jesus said to uh, the children, said to his disciples, said, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, this is in Luke 6, I will show him what he's like, right? So everybody that hears me and does what I tell them, this is what he's going to look like. He is like a man building a house who, who dug deep and laid the foundation where? On the rock. So God's men, God's women, build in difficult places. They don't choose sandy beaches. Now, you've got a lot of sandy beaches here in Miami, and I get it. But, but if you're going to have something that lasts, you've got to get into, you've got to do more than just build on sand. You've got to get to bedrock. You've got to go deep. You've got to get to something that's going to stand the storms of time, the weight and the pressure of what you're putting on it. And what you, God has given you to build in building world changes can't happen at the snap of a finger or moving through a single class or, or a single system of classes. No, this is a lifestyle. This is a deep dive. This is getting into your business. Uh, this is digging deep. Because the men who hear and obey what God says are going to be people who dig deep and build their foundations on the rock. And when a flood rises and a stream breaks out against the house, and it, it, that house will not be shaken because of how well it's been built. You stood COVID because of how well you've been built. You've stood through the test of adversities and setbacks and situations because of how well you've been built. Pastor just didn't throw up a couple sticks on the easy soil where there was little resistance and little difficulty. No, you always wonder, why why did pastor have to get into my stuff? Why does he he got to confront the thing? Why Why does he got to put his finger on that? Why does he leave that alone? Why do the little things matter to him? Amen. All right, am I, y'all go to this church, right? <laughs> am, am I preaching correctly? Amen. Is this the truth? Yes. And, and the interesting thing is every pastor he brings up underneath him, they're the same way. <laughs> they don't pitter-patter. They don't play games. They don't sit there and say, oh, that's good enough. They're building something that will last. They're building marriages that'll last. 
They're building families that'll last. They're building children that will last in a culture that is out to literally ravage, rape, defile, defame, demean your children. There is a house that is sprung up in the middle of Miami that says we are not going to feed our children on the altars of this lasciviousness and this, this perverseness. We are going to stand holy. We're going to stand upright and we're not going to do it with apology. We're not going to do it with, oh, I'm sorry. That might work for you. No, we're going to call. We're gonna say, hey, just like he told the story in a minute, a minute ago, hey, you're wicked if you think you can write a book this big. Amen. Who talks like that in this generation? Well, that, you're, you're used to it. We're not used to this in Kansas City. It's different there. Consider yourself to be blessed because the work always this is the other part. The work always begins small. He says, remember, remember those who despise the small beginnings? They're going to rejoice at what you've accomplished because people that despise small, be, small beginnings won't engage at small beginnings. They'll engage in success once success is achieved. But you can't build with those folks. Right. Lord has shown me over the years, we have foundation people and we have scaffold people. Scaffold people will help you get to a certain place, but foundation will be the place. You all know that sign language, right? That still works here. It's the universal sign language for I need an amen in the house. See, see, the work's difficult, and Jesus said it. See, the work's difficult, but work that is difficult will endure. Simple enough. There's no great revelation here. Hard work produces enduring results. That's why we just don't wave our hand. And, and, and we're not celebrating. We're not just celebrating that we've got X amount of people or that we've got so many that show up or that we, you know, we've done this or we've done that. We celebrate that we've endured through storms. See, the difference between the house that survives and the house that doesn't survive. Listen, I'm going to tell you, there is more credibility, according to the scripture, there's more credibility given to the work of the foundation for the success. See, your, your probability of success in a storm is entirely related to your foundation more than it is on the intensity of this storm. I'll say that again. Your success in adversity is more related to your foundation than it is the intensity of the storm. When you hear people saying, it was just so hard, it was just so difficult, I couldn't stand. The problem wasn't the storm, the problem was your foundation. Because the, thing the things God builds survives the most adverse of storms. I think that might be why Jesus said, he that endures to the end, those are the ones that are saved. Because there's something about the capacity to make sure we dig deep enough. We take the time, because I, I built a few buildings, and I can tell you, I'll spend half my budget for the building, and all I see is ground moving. I'm like, I've spent a million dollars Where's the building? 
Oh, we're not to the building yet. We're still, we're still setting footers. We're still putting our peers in. We're still, we're still doing this. We're still doing, but, but, but I'm spending a lot of money and I can't live in this thing yet. Well, they, and I actually had a guy say this to me one time. He said, well, we can skip all this, but you won't like the end result in a few years. I said, no, I'll just stick with it. Because our impatience wants to cut corners. Our impatience wants to drive us to the short and easy way. But 25 years say we're not taking shortcuts. 25 years says we're celebrating enduring. We're celebrating drilling down. But there was another church down the street that they're triple the size of our church. Today they are. And they don't know from year to year who the, 25, who the triple numbers are. Your pastor knows your name. They come and they go. They come and they go. We gotta, we've installed that revolving door. I notice this house doesn't have a revolving door. Amen. Oh, people are going to come. People are going to go. Because if, if you show up here, you're, you're, you're going to get offended. <laughs> Just like Jesus said. <laughs> I want to go to church and not be offended. Impossible. Especially here. Impossible. Right? Jesus says it's impossible that no offenses should come. But happy are you if you're offended by the gospel. Amen. There's something that happens when I'm, the word of truth is spoken and it goes to a place that makes me recoil. Amen. And it says to me, I've got to adjust to the truth instead of making the truth adjust to me. Amen. So can I share with you briefly foundations and finishing? 1 Peter 2 says, as you come to him... I love that your young people and your youth group is called uh, living stones. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, 1 Peter 2, 4, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Why are foundations important? Well... They determine four basic things. Your foundation will determine your future growth. Amen. You will never grow past your foundation. The second thing that a foundation does is it determines the stability and the longevity of that which will be built. It determines your growth. It determines your stability and your longevity. A foundation will also determine your capacity. If you are not built with a large foundation, strong foundation, your capacity will be minimal. Here's what I know about Spring of Life. You're building high-capacity people. High capacity, and that's because of your foundations. The fourth thing that it determines is it determines your destiny. You'll become what your foundation is. 
You will build in accordance to what your foundation is prepared to hold. Your destiny is assured. You should never be less, but you will never be more. Your foundation will determine it all. So if you'll notice in the story that we, in the, in the scriptures that we shared at the very beginning of the service in Zechariah, it says that there's two stones that are talk, talked about right away. He says they're going to bring forth, Zerubbabel's going to bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace. The very next prophetic utterance to Zerubbabel is that Zerubbabel has laid the foundation. He set the foundation for the house. There are two stones that are being referred to here. The first stone is the capstone, which I'll get to in a moment. The second stone is the stone I want to concentrate on right now, which is the cornerstone. I want to say to you that you have set the cornerstone. You know this. I'm just affirming by the mouth of more than one witness that this house has a firm cornerstone. Now, Paul told us who the cornerstone was in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, no one can lay a foundation than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what is the nature and the purpose of the cornerstone? Now, here's what's important to understand about the nature and purpose of the cornerstone. Go to Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And I'm going to build a little foundation before I share what I believe God's given to me. Look what it says, starting in Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Now, in the New Testament, it says, He who believes will not be put to shame. I love both ideas behind this because haste has to do with impatience. Because laying a cornerstone requires patience. You can't be hasty with a cornerstone. And there's a reason. The first reason is because the cornerstone is the most costly. Back in the day, you built cornerstones. Stones were how you built foundations. Today, we set forms, we pour concrete, put rebar in it, do various things. But back in the day, you did it with stone. And so what you would do is you would start with what was called the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the first stone to be set. And the cornerstone was the stone that had to be the most perfect of all the stones. The reason for this is because every angle was going to be set off that cornerstone. If it wasn't absolutely perfectly and purely plumb, if it wasn't absolutely and perfectly square to the plan, then if you got a foot out, 10 feet out, 100 feet out, it would become crooked. If you set something on it and it wasn't perfectly level, then you would be out of level. By the time you got, at first it might only be a 16th of an inch, but by the time you got 10 feet out, now it's a half inch. 20 feet out, now it's a full inch. Now all of a sudden, it's not a small thing. It's a big thing. It becomes a problem. The reason why it's called precious 
is because you spent more on the cornerstone than you spent on any of the other stones. And the reason why is because it was the most important, the most expensive, the most labor-intensive stone. You had to find the perfect stone. You had to go to the quarries and you dug and you dug and you looked and you looked. It could take years to find a cornerstone. You had to go and find it in the right places, in the right, based on the right materials. And then it had to be skillfully and precisely cut from out of the earth. Then it would spend months, if not years, being trimmed and leveled and chiseled and prepared so that everything that was based on the plan could be satisfied in a perfect manner. Not only was it precious because of the nature of shaping it and fitting it and the cost that it, that it had to be set. And who's, who's the cornerstone? Come on. Who's the cornerstone? But it was also tested. You see, nobody, just not one person could come and become the cornerstone to this thing we call the church. The cornerstone to this thing called, we call salvation and eternal life. He couldn't just be a good man because good isn't good enough. He had to be a perfect man. He had to be the man. Perfect in all of his ways. Just in all of his ways. Righteous in all of his ways. Not a flaw. Precise to the plan of God. And whenever you hear him talking, you'd say, I'm here to do only what my father tells me to do. I'm here to accomplish only what my father has called me to accomplish. He wasn't here to get busy about doing anything else, satisfying anything else. He wasn't prepared or set to manifest or take care of anybody's special feelings. No, he was here for one reason and one reason alone. And that is, I am here to execute the will of the father. And one last conflict that he has in the garden of Gethsemane, he stands up and he says, Lord, if it's your will, let me adjust this. Nevertheless, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it my disciples' way. Your will be done. Precise, correct, perfect. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, it was done exactly when it was supposed to happen, exactly the way it was supposed to happen, by exactly the man who was supposed to do it. But it's not just a precious stone, the Son of God, but it's a tested stone. Tried stone. Tested, proven. So you'd take the stone that was carved out and precisely cut, and then you would test it before you ever placed it. You know what you'd do? You'd impact test it. You'd throw things at it to see if it would create a crack or a chip. Then you would, you would load test it. You'd put huge, massive weights on it to see if it could stand under the pressure. And then I'm remembering the scriptures. He was tested in all points and tempted in all points like we are yet without flaw. Amen. God. Without a crack or a break. Density tested. They would, they would test the density doing very, using various uh, um, um, testing methods which included acids and other things. And then they would micro-examine it. They would get out their best magnifying glasses and they would look for micro-fractures. Because a micro-fracture might not show up right away, but it will eventually. Yeah. Come on. 
Jesus just wasn't a precious stone. He was a tested stone. And the reason the church still exists today is because Jesus is a sure foundation. Jesus is the tried stone, the precious cornerstone. And when God put it in the heart of this man and woman to start a church called Spring of Life, he wasn't going to start up with a fad or denominational structure or a system or a religious idea. No, he was going to start with one thing. Jesus wants to build world changers. And the only way I can make world changers is I've got to set the cornerstone in their life. I've got to set the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the key foundation stone. It translates the plan to the process of building. Now, I want you to hear this. This is important. I'm running out of time. I apologize. Here's what you don't know about the cornerstone. The cornerstone had one of two things done to it. It had a place on the stone, whether it was on the top, on the bottom, on the side, it had a place on the stone where the carved plans for the building or the wall was placed in the stone. They would carve it into the stone. Or they would hollow out a special space and they would insert the papyri plans for the stone. So what that meant was, is that, If you ever had the building leveled, if an enemy attacked it and pulled down all of the walls, one of the efforts of any battling army was not just to pull down the walls, but to find the cornerstone. Because if they could find the cornerstone, they would break it up. Because if they could break it up, there would be no possibility that they could ever rebuild that temple or that building again. But I'm here to tell you, you can run into moments when maybe your walls come tumbling down. And maybe your walls weren't built with gold, silver, and precious stones. Maybe they wood, hay, and straw. But it's okay because you can always go back to the cornerstone. And if you can find the cornerstone again, you can find the plans to rebuild your life. So it doesn't matter what comes your way. It doesn't matter what's come down around you. Go back to the cornerstone. Go back to the cornerstone. It's the first stone. Nothing happens until it's set. World changers don't happen until that stone is set. Spring of life fellowship doesn't happen unless that stone is set. Jesus is that cornerstone. Come on, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the temple of God. The single connect point that makes a crazy guy from Kansas City a part of this grander family is Jesus. In him, you also being built together into a holy place, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, building lives based on his word and his way, that's the only way you can make world changers. And that's all you've given yourself to. And so you connect to what God is connected to. You connect to who God is. And in that, you find the full victory. But this isn't the only thing. See, Zerubbabel is going to lay the foundation stone, but he's also going to bring the capstone. 
Now, I want to say something to you that's really important. So the capstone is an interesting stone. It says, who are you, great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone or the topstone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. The thing you need to know about the capstone is it was the finishing stone. It was, the cornerstone was the first stone. The capstone was the final stone. And what the capstone was is the capstone was not just ornamental. It wasn't kind of like the, the cherry on top of the Sunday of life. But it also had a purpose. Because it would actually become a protection against the elements that would get into the cracks in the tower or in the corner of the wall that they were trying to protect. So the capstone would actually take weather and remove it from any place in the walls that could absorb moisture, could absorb dust, could absorb, could, could, the wind could affect it. And so the capstone becomes a protective barrier as well as an ornamental decoration of celebration. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about, well, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the author. He's the start. And he's also the capstone. He's the finisher. Now, I find it interesting that if you look back to Zechariah, if you look at verse 7, it says, Oh, great mountain, who are you before Zerubbabel? Uh, he's going to bring forth the capstone. He's going to set it with shouts of grace, grace. He's going to bring it forth with shouts of grace, grace. And then two verses later, the word of the Lord is, he's going to lay the foundation. Why, why capstone first? Because the capstone, and, and, he, and when he's bringing the capstone out, there's a proclamation of what? Grace. Grace. Somebody say it with me. Grace. Grace. Now, the Bible describes four types of grace. There's saving grace. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Then there's justifying grace. We are justified by grace, the scriptures say. There's also the teaching grace. His grace has been revealed, teaching us to walk soberly, and righteously before him. See, grace isn't the ability to just do what you want. Grace actually empowers you to walk uprightly, to do it God's way. It's not just a license. It's actually barriers. It's a teacher. It's a schoolmaster for what God wants us to do. And then the final one is grace that's enabling. By his grace, I am what I am. By his grace, we've done this great work. It's that God's supernatural empowerment, God's ability being, being revealed in the midst of a situation. And so what is God saying to Zerubbabel, who's walking through a generation when they start building this building, there's, there, when they set the foundation stones, everybody starts wailing and crying. There's a group that's screaming and yelling and celebrating that it's done. And then there's a group, the old school, that are saying, I remember Solomon's temple. It was so beautiful. And, and this is so pitiful. And it just doesn't look very good. And there is not much hope. And, and the blend of these two sounds was heard everywhere. And nobody knew what the noise was. And that's Zerubbabel's world. Some are rejoicing and some are weeping. Some, it's a new opportunity, a new life, a new beginning for others. It's a remembrance of how far they've fallen. 
And they're in the same place. And sometimes church is like that. You got the new believers shouting and celebrating their new life. And you got the one back there and their, their expectations have been disappointed and, and they've been hurt and they've been wounded and they've been broken and, and, and they don't know how to find their voice of joy again. But God says it might start that way, but it's going to end with the shouts, grace, grace. It's going to end with the shouts uh, that God has started this thing and that God is going to finish this thing. That God is the author and the finisher of this thing we call faith. Come on, somebody needs to declare to your capstone because God never sets something until he already has it finished. God doesn't start something until in his mind it's already been done. You see, when he starts it, he's already at the end line. He's already at the finish line saying, okay, it's time to start now because I already know where this is going and I know how it's going to happen and I know the success you're going to have I know the struggles you're going to have but it's okay he I am confident this very thing that he that begun a good work in me shall complete it smart somebody needs to look somebody needs to look at the end of this thing doesn't matter what it looks like right now and I'm here to tell you you're in your grace grace period Spring of life, you're in your grace, grace period. This is, listen, you've set the capstone. Excuse me, you set the cornerstone. And now you're getting ready to set the capstone. And it's time to shout grace, grace. Look what God's done. Look at where he's brought us from. Look how he's brought us out. Look how he's took us through. Look at how he's made us into a declaration of his glory. Declaring and celebrating the enabling power of God's grace over the completing work that he's doing. Come on, I don't know about you, but I'm, I challenge you to look to Jesus, Amen. the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, endured the cross, despising the shame. And because of that, the capstone is he's seated at the right, he's seated at the right hand, come on. He was able to, he was willing to set the stone. He was willing to endure the process so that he could sit down in the place of glory. Come on. I know there's been battles. I know there's been fights. But this is the time of finishing grace. This is the time when God is going to complete what he has started with his glory and with his power. This is the time when you are going to see grace, grace declared. I don't know where you are. Maybe you're starting a business. Maybe you're trying to do something in your family. Maybe the foundations don't look real great. Maybe it seems like there's a lot of work and there's not a whole lot of glory. But can I tell you, keep persevering. Keep enduring. Keep building on the cornerstone. Keep laying line upon line. Keep laying brick upon brick. Keep putting the mortar in there. Keep tapping. Keep digging. Keep grinding. Why? Because there's going to be a shout that comes from this house. Grace, 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 grace. Look what the Lord has done. Look what God has accomplished. Look at where he's brought us from. Look at the victory that he's brought to our lives. Come on, somebody in this house needs to celebrate the faithfulness of God. Somebody in this house needs to declare that God is good and is in mercy endures to all generations. Come on, I don't know. I started looking and I found grace. 
I found grace to help just in the nick of time. I don't know where you were, but about the time I was about to give up, I found grace uh, that stepped in uh, when I thought mercy wasn't available, when I thought hope wasn't available, when I thought everything was exhausted. Uh, all of a sudden, I heard a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. And when I started walking in it, uh, I found the grace to finish the thing that God had called me to do. Grace. Grace. Holy Spirit, I speak grace, grace. Over spring of life. I speak grace, grace over its leadership. I speak grace, grace over its teens. Lord God, over its servants, over its teachers, over its educators, over those who carry the souls of young children and youth and young adults, I pray grace, grace. Lord, over, over the men's ministries and the women's ministries, I pray grace, grace over the redemptive work of the marriage ministry recovery that happens out of this house. Lord, they're just not doing it for those that come in here. Lord, they got a bus running around town saying we've got a solution. Yes. Amen. Father, I declare grace, grace. Amen. They have the strength not only to start, but Lord, they've got the grace to finish. Amen. And at this 25-year celebration, we declare there's enough. Amen. There's enough anointing. There's enough provision. There's enough blessing. There's enough joy. There's enough strength. There's enough resources. There's enough people. There's enough and more than enough because your grace was sufficient. So Lord, we thank you for that grace, that spirit, that blessing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who better? Amen. Who better? Amen. To proclaim God's truth. Amen. 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 April 6, 1998, the Lord spoke to us about the work that he would start through us. And my response was hilarious. Because he says, get up and go. I'm with you. And I said to the Lord, but I have not known any men. And that meant who's, who's going to help us economically, spiritually launch this thing. And those were the same words that Mary said when the angel told her she would conceive a child. She goes, I haven't known any men. And I, I never thought I would have something in common with the Virgin Mary. How is this thing going to be birthed? And, and then the thing why it was so comical is because God says, I'm going to do it. That's what, that's what he did with Mary. And through the years, um, there were five specific instances where very, very wealthy men came and they wanted to put their economy behind this thing at five different times. And very, very wealthy men. And we told them thanks, but no thanks. 
because they came with an agenda that was going to mess up this place. And I always, and I was telling Pastor Richie last week that if we were faithful to say no to these men who wanted to do the illegitimate, we know that God is going to soon reveal the legitimate. And there's, there's going to come, and I'll say it before it even happens, there's, there's zero right now. It's like the prophet, look at the cloud, there's no cloud. But I proclaim that God's going to outdo all those five men in one fail swoop of his faithfulness. And here in Psalm 126, it says that those who sowed with tears will reap with joy. And Psalm 126, it says that the ones that were watching, verse 2, their mouths were filled with laughter and their tongues with singing. And they said amongst the nation, look what the Lord has done, great things for them. And I believe that. I believe everybody has witnessed the birth of this ministry 25 years ago. They called us insane and nuts but they're going to see the latter glory. They're going to see, they're going to see the end and, and all for the glory of God. And our desire is that there would be genuineness in our walk, that Jesus would be the one who we attribute all that has happened in this place. Yvette turned to me at that night and she says, how are we going to do this? I said, we're not going to do it. We're just going to watch what God's going to do. And we've been watching ever since. And yeah, there's been fierce storms and waves and winds, but they don't determine our destiny and where we're going to end up. It's just part of the course. Um, when we were with Pastor Medieros at different places and times, he's like freaking out. And I said, look, when, when we go to the bull stadium and that 3,000-pound bull comes out, the bullfighter doesn't freak out. He just does what he does, and, and we've seen these things try to come and devastate and plummet and destroy us, and God's grace has delivered us. And we're just as excited now as we were the first day, and our kids are more excited than we are. So God, God has, has really been faithful. Um, and we just see this thing right out, and I, I think that in good company, that's where battle has done the best. And that's what we've done as a ministry around the world. We've met some very special people and, and those people that are genuine and legitimate. I'm, I, I can't wait for Charity to come here and throw it down. There's a power of those people that love God. Let's, uh, Pastor Kenny, I, you haven't done this song in a long time, but I would love to see you up here get the guitar. I don't know if you could do this. Look what the Lord has done. Tracy, if you want to get the piano and see what we could do together. Amen. Matthew, get the drums. Get on the drums, Matthew. Javi's here too? Oh, Pastor Javi, dale. Help us out. Pastor Javi has been our drummer since day one. He's been faithful for 25 years. Worship team, help me out. Help Pastor Kenny out. I love the way Tracy plays that piano. She got some soul in there. Some rhythm. Let's stand, church, and let's sing this one last song. We're getting ready. We're, I mean, we're already celebrating. It's not even time to celebrate. 
We're, we're a couple of weeks from our anniversary, but uh, we will tell the world, look what the Lord has done. Uh, and, and he is not a respecter of persons. Wherever someone calls upon the name of the Lord, he will save, he will heal, he will deliver. And as we sing this song, we, we know that God is moving in our midst. I'll pray and then this will be the song that will let us out. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for Pastor David Freck and his uncom un uncompromising desire to shake the earth for your glory. We give you thanks for his family. We give you thanks for his ministry. We pray that he would be an influence in America. That Lord, the generations of this time will follow his example and imitate his passion. And that all those churches coming together will come together for all for one and one for all for your glory that you continue to knit our hearts together and that we would continue on many years of fellowship and ministry together encouraging and seeing your goodness in our lives and that you open up the windows of the heavens and pour out provision so that we can continue to do what we do because of you lord in jesus name we pray how's that song start pastor kenny Greet one another in the love of the Lord as we sing this song. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I'm going to raise his name. He saved me just the same. Come on, praise him. Look what the Lord Lord 
Praise the Lord, you're all dismissed. God bless you.